on this episode of the Magic Business Podcast. Someone once said, most people would die rather than think. In fact, they do. Welcome to the Magic Business Podcast, where we share insightful and delightful inner secrets about the business of magic. This is where magic professionals present their real-life experiences and some of their most guarded secrets to help further your career in the magical arts. I'm your host, Christian Painter, in partnership with TheMagicOracle.club, where you can hear all of our magic business podcasts. Max Maven has been a fixture in the mentalism world for the last 45 years. He is one of the most prolific writers and performers of modern times. He has appeared on hundreds of television and radio programs. He hosted eight network specials in Japan, performing in Japanese. He possesses far too many awards to list for this program. Quite frankly, if you don't know who Max Maven is, I can only assume you're new to magic and mentalism. One of the reasons I'm really excited about this episode is that Max is going to share with us the seven deadly sins of performing. I'm very excited about this. I suggest you listen to this program the first time. Have fun with it the second time. Take out your note-taking device. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you, Christian. It's nice to be with you. I am so looking forward to this. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating. Let's start with your first one, the first deadly sin of performing. It was an intriguing uh, question that you posed. And initially I thought, how, how am I going to come up with seven topics, seven categories? And I, I said, well, the first thing I should do is look at the actual classic list of the seven deadly sins. So I went online and Googled, and uh, the, there are, there's more than one version of the list, but there's a generally agreed upon uh, list of seven deadly sins. And as I was looking at these, it occurred to me that I could use these same categories without changing the key words and just interpret them in terms of mentalism. All right. I, I am I am very intrigued. And I will do this uh, in the order they showed up on that Google list. So it's not my order. It's uh, perhaps a traditional order. But here we go. Uh, the first deadly sin is pride. And in the context of performing mentalism, uh, I would define that as when a performer focuses on themselves, allowing the audience to be secondary. And that leads to a lack of communication. And at its heart, mentalism, and by extension, most performing, but mentalism in particular, because it is so participatory, uh, really requires constant communication, both from the performer to the audience, but also uh, in the opposite direction. And pride, I think, leads the performer to basically downplay or ignore the feedback the audience is giving. All right. Uh, the second deadly sin would be greed. And again, in, in the context of mentalism, that would be uh, acquiring material rather than actually understanding what you already have. There are a lot of people in, in the field of mentalism who are uh, collectors of secrets, if you will. Uh, they just want more stuff, whether it's physical props or 
secret techniques or ideas. They're so, uh, they, they become so obsessed with acquiring uh, that they bypass actually seeing what they already possess and how to best use it. Do, do you think that's because they are not able to come up with other premises or ideas for the presentation? Um, I think uh, some, I wish I could give the, the correct attribute uh, attribution for this quote, but uh, off the top of my head, I can't. But someone once said, uh, most people would die rather than think. In fact, they do. Wow. So I, I think it really has to do with this sort of superficial gathering of, of things to possess. Uh, you know, if you're going to be a painter, collecting paintbrushes is not going to make you a better painter, Mr. Painter. <laughs> I see what you did there. I, I understand your point, though. Um, yes. Okay. This, that was a good one. All right. I'm ready All for number right. three. Number three, wrath. And in this uh, context, I would, I would point out that uh, a lot of times uh, a former, a mentalist, will blame a weak reaction from the audience on that audience. If something doesn't get the response the performer thinks it deserves, they'll say, well, it's just because it was a bad audience. Now, there is a saying in show business that there's no such thing as a bad audience. Uh, and I think that's not true. There are such things as bad audiences, but there aren't too many of them. And most of the time when a performer says, oh, it was a bad audience, they are bypassing uh, their own responsibility because when you analyze a show that didn't go well, you can almost always find things that you did that you could have done in a better way to improve the audience engagement. I like it. Uh, next on the list is envy. And in the case of uh, performers, I, I think that manifests itself in copying material taking other performers' lines, or even mimicking another performer's style and delivery. We obviously see far too much of that. Um, it would be nice to see less. I, I have a question, since we're on, yep. I believe this is number four. So when performers are starting out, would that be okay to mimic uh, and, and when I say this, I mean, performances that have been sold or given away, I'm not saying the outright stealing of someone's piece, but, you know, like Banana Bandana, for instance, is one of those ones that gets talked about. It's great when you're starting out, but there's a point that that's, it's got to go away. It's got to be put aside. Um, do you share that opinion or do you believe, nah, it's just something you shouldn't do at all? Well, I think uh, certainly at the beginning of a person's journey, if you will, uh, into mentalism, magic, whatever, uh, a certain amount of mimicry is almost unavoidable because it's one of the ways in which we learn. Uh, we see someone do something and it works for them, it appeals to us, and it's sort of human nature to, uh, to imitate what they see. But it's also, I think, within the capability of all of us 
to sort of put a limit on that and try and break away from that and find out who you are and what you're going to bring uh, into the experience. Okay. So, uh, you know, that doesn't mean you have, by the way, I'll say, doesn't mean you have to write everything or create everything from scratch. As is sometimes pointed out, Frank Sinatra never composed a song, but he was a brilliant interpreter of songs written by other people. So you, and I'm not saying you Christian, but rather you, the listener, mm -hmm. uh, you, you may be a great and inventive uh, original, or you may not be, you may be a good interpreter. That's not the dividing line. The dividing line is, have you found yourself and found a way to make material your own uh, rather than simply grabbing someone else's wardrobe, putting it on and hoping it fits. All right, I'm ready for number five. Uh, number five is lust, which could have gone in a number of different directions, but I, I decided that uh, in the case of, of mentalism, uh, lust would be being so enamored of an effect or method that you overuse it. Uh, one example that comes to mind some years ago, a, a mentalist whose name you would recognize, but I, I won't say who it was, but uh, I saw this person perform a four-part book test, four phases, and they were so in love with the methods, it didn't occur to them that the audience found this to be diminishing returns. Hmm. Because as far because the audience didn't care about the method, right? The audience felt like they were seeing the same demonstration repeated and repeated and repeated again. Uh, yes, each phase was a little bit more test conditions, let's say, but it didn't override the fact that for the audience it was it didn't go anywhere. Once the first test or first phase was was done, it was time to move on to some other concept. And hmm. uh, so I think as performers, there's sometimes the tendency to get so wrapped up in what you're getting out of the effect that you lose sight of what the audience gets. I, I won't lie uh, and, and say that I, I might have been guilty of that in the past. Well, I mean, I think all of us have been guilty of these sins, and I will include myself. Um, but having sinned in the past doesn't mean you are obliged to continue doing so. The next one on the list is gluttony. And I suppose uh, that one could take that term and arrive at what I just described as in the category of lust. But I came, with a, came up with a different interpretation. Uh, that in, in our performing context, gluttony is eating up too much time. Hmm. There are performers who overstay their welcome. Uh, this is particularly noticeable when performers are on uh, a bill with other performers. You know, if, if there's a gala show of some sort and there, were, there will be six performers or eight performers or however many have been booked, and if you have agreed to to do 10 minutes or 12 minutes, uh, 
you know, there are certain reformers who no, are notorious for ignoring that agreement. And when they get on stage, they wind up doing 20 minutes or more. And that's particularly the case uh, when a performer has an unusually good audience, an unusually good reaction. So mm. they get out on stage, they're having a great time, the audience really likes what they're doing. And then selfishly, they, they grab extra time, which hurts the other performers. Mm. It's true for that matter, even if you're doing solo work, if the show is only you, uh, I think you need to be realistic about the audience's, uh, uh, what, what the audience has signed up for. I've seen this a lot recently with online shows uh, where most, most of the uh, virtual shows that I've seen, they usually are announced that they'll be about an hour long. And I've seen many such shows where the actual runtime is, let's say, an hour and 20 minutes. Mm. Well, that's not fair to your audience. Uh, they may have had other plans. They may be baking dinner or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, so I think gluttony is, is a, in this context, is a sin that's easily addressed. That might be, um, when it comes to conventions, the most uh, uh, abused sin right there. Yep. Uh, but I was thinking of what you said, even for an individual show, there's a, there's an arc you can see sometimes of an audience knowing we have reached maximum enjoyment and it yeah. might be time to wrap it up. And sometimes yeah. you have that tendency to just want to get more. I also think some people are unrealistic in assessing their own uh, ability to, to do long form. Mm -hmm. uh, there are performers who can hold a stage for two hours and keep the audience interested, keep the energy up. And there are other performers who are just not long form performers and maybe half an hour is the right length of time for their show. Uh, that takes a certain amount of, of sometimes brutal honesty, mm. but I think that's part of the gluttony issue also. Fantastic. Well, last but certainly not least is the sin of sloth. Uh, which I will interpret here as being laziness, taking the easy way out. Uh, far too many performers uh, ignore history. Uh, they don't really care where the material they do comes from, which means they also don't care about the provenance of such material. In other words, is it actually up for grabs or is it something that another performer did that you know sort of made its way into their knowledge. Uh, laziness also leads to performers being lax about scripting, uh, about blocking, about clarity, overall structure. These things take work. And because mentalism, uh, unlike various other types of performing, mentalism usually does not involve uh, elaborate sets. Uh, you can, of course, have very elaborate lighting in a mentalism show. But having said that, I think for most uh, mentalism shows, the lighting is is uh, practical rather than elaborate. Uh, so essentially, mentalism is one person, sometimes two, standing on stage talking with the participation of members of the audience. 
And so to look at it, it seems fairly simple and straightforward. But in reality, it's not. There are mentalists who, who never even think about blocking their material. Uh, and you can tell because they do things like turn their back on the audience, not as a dramatic piece of blocking, but rather because they need to get something off of a table and haven't thought through how to best get that object from the table uh, without standing with their back to the audience. So blocking is not necessarily difficult, but it doesn't happen automatically. It takes work, it takes effort, and that's true of virtually every other aspect of performing mentalism as well. So sloth uh, happens to be last on the list in the order I came upon it, but it, in some ways it's also the, 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 the big way to end on this conversation is to emphasize how easy it is to be lazy with this stuff, and that's not okay. I'm sure you share uh, with your colleagues and the, and the people you've worked with your whole life, you know, working together to help each other with your shows. But I'm curious, how many people come to you, you know, that you don't know, that aren't your friends, that ask for advice for their shows? Well, uh, it's it's reasonably frequent. Uh, prior to the pandemic, I would spend a lot of time at Magic Castle, which mm -hmm. means that I would see a lot of performers uh, on any given week. And it was not uncommon for a performer to ask for feedback. Uh, so it, it happened pretty frequently. And if, so, if someone really wants feedback, then that usually will lead to a, uh, a longer conversation, which, which depending on circumstance, uh, can actually turn into a, uh, a professional exchange in the sense of sometimes people do hire me for, uh, for private instruction that's the wrong consultations word. and so yeah. people then are able to send you their show or if they're close to you you can come see their show that sort of thing yeah correct? Uh, i've done it both uh, through uh, online videos but also by attending a performance okay. back in the days when that was possible and people and people if they want that can just uh, uh contact you through your website i would imagine um i'm happy to give up my email address it's maxmaven at aol.com. So it's very easy to remember. Mm -hmm. It's my name. And then you just have to recall that I'm very old. So I'm on AOL. This has been a fantastic list. One that I think uh, many of us can use and go back and look at our shows and maybe take some painful notes. So I want to thank you for taking the time to do that. Well, thanks for proposing such an interesting topic. Well, I have to be honest with you, uh, when Roland and I sat down and we were talking about having you on the show, as we said, what do we want Max to talk about? And Roland actually came up with that idea. And uh, I hate him for it because he, he, he beat me to it. He beat me to a, a great idea. But before we let you go, Max, we like to end with a question that we kind of propose to all of our guests. Yeah. Uh, because in this moment, you are the oracle. You are the reason people, they saw your name and they're listening now to this podcast. And since we're talking about performing... Here's the question I want to propose to you, and that is, you have people who come up to you and they want to ask you, how, how, how are you going to make my show better, Max? You know, what ways can it be? Or what, whatever it is that they initially come to you for. But what's the one question that you find that people never ask but should be asking about their show? Well, I, I can answer this uh, with, with an answer that I've been giving for years uh, in a more general sense. 
when I see a performance, whether it's by one person or a, a team, there are, and, and whether it's magic or mentalism or, or something in a completely different field, there are always three questions that I ask of myself. Uh, and the three questions are always asked and the answers are not always the same. The first question is, who is this person? Uh, and it's fairly remarkable how often the answer is, I don't know and neither do they. The second question is, what story are they trying to tell me? Now, I don't mean by a story, I don't mean necessarily a linear story, although it can be a narrative of that sort, but rather what's, what's the premise? What, what am I, what, did the, what does that person want me to take away from this experience? What am I learning? Where am I being taken by this performance? And then the third question is, why is this worth my, my time and attention? And unfortunately, the answer to the third question, more often than not, is it's not worth my time and attention. And the reason is usually because the person has not successfully answered the first two questions for themselves. Wow. So those are my three questions. There is a bonus fourth question uh, for an act such as yours that involves uh, more than one person. And so I would say, I would say this is uh, question 1A. If the first question is, who is this person? If, if, it's, if it's more than one person, that question changes to, who are these people? And then question 1A is, and what is their relationship to each other? And so with those, with those three or three and a half questions, uh, that's what I ask to myself every time I, I see a performer uh, or a show. And if a performer comes to me and says uh, that they would like advice or help or input uh, about their show, those three questions are going to provide the, the starting point for any such conversation. I, I, don't, I don't think we get into this better. Uh, I think you have given our listeners so much to think about. They definitely will have to listen to this podcast a second time. I want to thank you so much, Max, for taking the time to consider all that you have given us today. And uh, thanks so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to our Magic Business Podcast. Please visit the magicoracle.club where you can hear all of our Magic Business Podcasts and enjoy a vast array of additional magical knowledge. I'd like to leave you with a panel from a comic by James Norbury. And it goes, which is more important, asks the big panda, the journey or the destination? The company, said the tiny dragon. As always, we at the Magic Oracle wish you continued success on your path in the magical arts.